Bezrat Hashem, we continue the Gemara of Shabbos. We are on the top of Dach Mem Aleph Amud Aleph 51a. Excuse me, Nun Aleph Amud Aleph 51a. And we are starting a new Mishnah. And the Mishnah says that if a person does not cover a pot of cooked food on Shabbos, even while it's still daytime, on Erev Shabbos, I should say, if one did not cover a pot of cooked food on Erev Shabbos while it's still daytime, then he can't cover it after dark. However, if a person covered it while it was still daytime, and then it became uncovered on Shabbos, he's permitted to cover it again, even on Shabbos. The Mishnah concludes by saying that a person can fill a jug of cold water on Shabbos and can put it beneath a pillow or a cushion to prevent it from getting warm. So the Gemara says, Amar Rav Yehuda, Mar Shmuel. Rav Yehuda said that Shmuel said, it is permitted to insulate the cold food on Shabbos to keep, to keep it cold. So we don't worry that this is going to lead us to insulate hot food on Shabbos to keep it hot. So insulation really is only for the purpose of keeping something hot when you're, when you're talking about insulation. Um, that's, our, that's the main idea. But there is also an aspect of insulation of trying to keep something cool, trying to make sure that something does not get hot. We're allowed to make sure that something is insulated in order to keep it cold, but not the opposite. Amar Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef says... So what is Shmuel teaching us with this? We already learned in our Mishnah that a person can fill a jug with water on Shabbos and put it beneath a pillow or a mattress to prevent it from getting warm. Amar le Abaye. Abaye says to him, he teaches, teaches us a lot because if it had been learned from the Mishnah alone, then I could have said that the ruling that a person is permitted to insulate cold food applies only to something that's not ordinary, ordinarily insulated when it's hot. However, something that is commonly insulated when it's hot, no, it can't be insulated even when it's cold. So what Shmuel Kamashmalani is teaching us is that this is allowed even in the case of something which is commonly insulated when it's hot. Amar Rav Huna, Amar Rav. Rav Huna said that, uh, Rav said, it's prohibited to insulate cold food on Shabbos to keep it cold. But the Gemara raises an objection, but wasn't it just taught in a Brisa that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi permitted cold food to be insulated on Shabbos. So the Gemara says this is not difficult because this statement was made before he heard the ruling of Rabbi Yishmael, the son of Rabbi Yossi. I'll point out here that the, the text of the Gemara that I have says, Amar Rafuna Amar Rav, but it's it, there must be a misprint because clearly they are referring to Rabbi, not Rav. So the Gemara says it's not difficult because the statement was made before he heard the ruling of Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi Yossi. And that statement in the Brisa was made after he heard it. So, as in the incident where Rabbi Yehuda Nasi sat and said that it's usr, it's prohibited to insulate cold food on Shabbos to keep it cold, Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi Yossi, said before him that father permitted insulating cold food on Shabbos. So Rabbi says back to him that I retract my previous statement as the elder, he's referring to Rabbi Yossi here, the elder has already issued a ruling on this topic, and I defer to his rulings. That's the reason why he retracted the ruling. Amar Rav Papa. Rav Papa says, So come and see how much they loved each other. Because had Rabbi Yossi still been alive, he would have been subordinate to and sitting in front of Rabbi Yudanasiya as his student. As Rabbi Yishmael, the son of Rabbi Yossi, took his father's place, and he was as great of a Torah scholar as his father was, he was also subordinate to and sitting in front of Rabbi and he was sitting in front of him as his student. 
And nevertheless, that Rebbe says that the elder has already issued a ruling on the topic and he deferred to Rebbe Yossi's ruling. So back to the topic now. Amalei Rav Nachman Ladaru Avdei. Rav Nachman said to Daru, his slave, insulate cold food for me on Shabbos and bring me water that a Gentile cook heated on a weekday. So as the prohibition to eat food cooked by a Gentile doesn't apply to water. So when Rebbe Ami heard this, he became angry. Rav Yosef says to him, so what's the reason? Rav Yosef says, rather, what's the reason that Rebbe Ami became angry? And Rav Nachman acted in accordance with the rulings of his teachers. In one matter, in accordance with the ruling of Rav, and in another matter, in accordance with the ruling of Shmuel. So the Gemara is going to explain. So how does he act in accordance with the opinion of Shmuel? As Rav Yehuda said, the Shmuel said, it's permitted to insulate cold food on Shabbos to keep it cold. And how does he um, act in accordance with the ruling of Rav? As Rav Shmuel bar Rav Yitzchak said that Rav said, anything that's eaten as it is, raw, and cooking it is unnecessary. So even if it was cooked, it's not subject to the prohibition of food cooked by Gentiles. And since water is, is we, don't, we drink water without cooking it, obviously. So therefore a person can drink it even if it was boiled by a Gentile. The Gemara says that Rabbi Ami became angry because he held that an important person is different. Meaning that a person who is distinguished, like Rav Nachman, should be stringent upon himself and he should distance himself from conduct that could be taken, even in a mistaken way, as a prohibited act. Taner the rabbis taught in Abraisa. Although the Chachamim said that one cannot insulate hot food, even in something that does not add heat after nightfall on Shabbos, if he comes to add to the material in which he insulates the food on Erev Shabbos, he may add to it even on Shabbos. So how should a person do this? Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel said that he takes the sheets with which he insulate a pot and he places the heavy blankets on them so that provides a better insulation. He puts them in their place. Or if he's concerned about you know, the heat getting too much, so then he can take the heavy blankets in which the pot had been insulated and he can place the lighter sheets in their place. They're interchangeable, in other words. And likewise, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel said in a teaching... In teaching an additional kula, a leniency, he said that they prohibited insulating a pot on Shabbos to keep its contents warm when the food remains only in the same urn in which the water was boiled. However, if you empty the water from that urn into a, another urn, so it's permitted to insulate that second one to keep the water warm. And so the reason that Rabbi, uh, that Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel ruled like this is like this. Because it's, it's usher to insulate a pot on Shabbos because we are concerned that a person would heat the food beforehand. Right? You're going to keep it hot and then insulate it so that you can keep that heat throughout. But now that a person has already taken steps to cool the water by pouring it from one, you know, one kli to another, but so there's no concern that he's going to boil it again on Shabbos. So Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel also says that if a person insulated a pot and covered it with something that can be moved on Shabbos, or if he insulates it with something that cannot uh, be moved on Shabbos because it's muksa, and then he covers it with something that can be moved on Shabbos, so he can take the pot to remove food and then return it to its place, and he doesn't have to worry. However, so there's a codicil to this. However, if he both insulates it and covers it with something that cannot be moved on Shabbos, so that's one situation. Or, the Gemara says, if he insulated it 
in something that can be moved on Shabbos and covered it with something that cannot be moved on Shabbos. If the pot was partially exposed, he can remove the pot and the cover will fall on its own and then return to its place. And if the pot was not partially exposed, and we flip over to the top of 51b, Eino Notel Umachziri cannot remove the pot and then return it to its place. So we're going to continue now to examine another part of the Mishnah. Rabbi Huda says that the chaff of fine flax is like manure, in the sense that a person cannot insulate food in it even on Erev Shabbos. The Gemara says that a person can place a, uh, a copper urn on top of another copper urn, and a person can place a, 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 an earthenware pot uh, on top of another earthenware pot, and the reason is because the lower one is not going to heat the upper one in both of those situations. However, a person cannot place an earthenware pot on top of a copper urn or vice versa, a copper urn on top of an earthenware pot, as in that case there is a concern that the upper utensil is going to be heated by the lower one. The Gemara continues that a person may not seal the, ma- the mouth of a pot with dough. You can't plug it up. So all of those things can't be done in order to heat the water but only so that the heat will be maintained and it won't cool down. So to heat the water up to a, a higher degree, no. But to maintain the temperature, yes. So Gemara says that just like a person can't insulate hot food to keep it warm, so too a person cannot insulate food to keep it cold. And Rebbe permitted insulating cold food on Shabbos. The last part of this parak says... A person can neither crush snow or hail on Shabbos in, so that the water will, will come out of it and then he can drink it. So the reason is because that by doing that, you're creating something new. You're creating water from ice, even though scientifically they're you know, the, the same principles, the same chemical composition. You're creating ice, uh, water from ice and that's on Shabbos and that's, that's oh, sorry, you can't do that. However, a person can put the snow or the hail into a cup or a dish and allow it to melt on its own. And he doesn't have to worry. You can't take the affirmative action of doing that. And then we finish this parakadernalech. We will return to you, Bametomnin. That's the name of the, of the parak. So we're going to start a brand new chapter now. And the, the chapter is called Bame Behema. And so we're going to switch topics. So there is a mitzvah to rest your animals on Shabbos. So because of this, a person's animal cannot go out into the public domain carrying a burden on it. However, an object that's designated to protect this animal or to prevent it from escaping is not considered a burden. And so therefore, an animal that put, bears those types of objects can actually go out into the Rishus HaRabim. That's sort of like the, uh, the preview of what the, what the Mishnah is going to say here. So we start the first Mishnah of the Perak. And the Mishnah says, So with what can an animal go out? And by going out, it means going out into the Rishus Harabim, the public domain on Shabbos. And with what can it not go out? The Mishnah says that a camel can go out on Shabbos with an afsar and a naka, but cannot go out with a chatam and a luvdekim may go out uh, with a frumbia. We're going to talk about this, what these terms mean. 
And the, the Mishnah says also that a horse can go out with a chain around its neck. And in general, all animals that typically have a chain around their neck, when they go out into the public domain, they can go out with the chain on Shabbos, and they can be pulled and led by that chain. Now, if these chains con- contract tuma, ritual impurity, a person can sprinkle the waters of purification on them and then immerse them in their place on the animal itself, and they don't have to take them off in order to make them pure. So the Gemara is going to talk about some of the terms that we just, ta- that we just heard. So, my naka bechatam, what is the meaning of a naka with a chatam? The Gemara asks. So, Rabbi Babarchana says, a white female camel with an iron nose ring is what is known as a naka with a chatam. And what's the meaning of the luvdakim with a purimbiya? Rafuna said it's a Libyan donkey that has an iron halter on it. So we just mentioned this Libyan donkey, the Gemara relates, that Levi once sent money to Vechosai uh, to procure for himself a Libyan donkey. And apparently, these donkeys were, were supposed to be a, a higher quality donkey. So they bound his money, they returned it to him, and they sent him barley to say that the strides of a donkey depend on the barley that it eats. So if a person gives a donkey better animal food, then the performance of the donkey will be just as good as that of a Libyan donkey. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Rav Yehuda said that Shmuel said, the students actually switched the details in the Mishnah before Rebbe, and they asked him, what's the halacha with regard to this animal going out into the Rishus Harabim, the public domain, with that which is permitted for that animal? For example, can a female white camel go out with a bit or a camel with an iron nose ring so they switched it up the gemara explains the question so the case of a white female camel going out with a bit should not really be a problem for you since it's not sufficiently secured by a bit it's regarded as a burden with which we just learned in the mission an animal cannot go out so the case where there should be a dilemma for you is that of a camel that goes out to the Rishus Harabim, the public domain, that has a nose ring. So what's the halacha in that case? Now the Gemara explains that, is the halacha that since a bit alone suffices to secure a a camel, an iron nose ring is considered to be a burden? Or is the halacha that maybe with regard to something that provides extra security, we don't say that it's a burden? So Rebbe Yishmael, the son of Rebbe Yossi, said before Rebbe that his father, Rebbe Yossi, said, four animals are allowed to go out with a bit. The horse, the mule, the camel, and the donkey. Now what does this list come to exclude? Isn't it coming to exclude a camel going out with a nose ring? So apparently that resolves the dilemma. The camel would then be only allowed to go out with a bit. But the Gemara rejects this proof and says, no, the list actually comes to exclude a white female camel that goes out with a bit. So it was taught in Abrisa that a Libyan donkey, a Luvdikim, and the camel, a gamal, can go out with a bit. The Gemara makes a note that the question whether or not an animal is allowed to go out into the Rishus Harabim with extra security to make sure it doesn't escape is parallel to a machalokis between the Tanaim, as it was taught in Abrisa that a chaya, which is a, a non-domesticated animal, cannot go out without a collar. 
Hananya says that it can go out without it, it. It can go out with a collar. Excuse me. Let me let me rephrase. Ein chaya a chaya, a non-domesticated animal, cannot go out with a collar. Hananya says that it it can, and with anything else that secures it. And the Gemara clarifies this case. So, b'may askinan, what are we dealing with here? But so, if you say that we're dealing with a large chaya, a large non-domesticated animal, does a collar really is that good enough? To, it doesn't really secure the animal. So, therefore, that uh, that collar would be considered a burden. And therefore, because it's a burden, it's prohibited for the animal to go out into the Rishus Rabbim with it on Shabbos. Rather, it has to be dealing with a small chaya, a small non-domesticated animal. So in that case, doesn't a collar suffice to secure it? So why then does this anonymous first tana hold that the animal can't go out with it? Ella, rather, is it not that the nafkamina, the practical difference between their opinions is regarding a cat, so the anonymous first tana of the Brisa holds that since a small rope is good enough to secure a cat, a collar is considered a burden with, so the cat can't go out into the public domain with that collar. And Hananya holds that with regard to a device that provides extra security, so we, uh, that's excessive really, so we don't say that it's a burden. So the Tanayim are disagreeing whether or not a device that can provide excessive security to prevent the animal from escaping is considered to be a burden. So the Gemara concludes that the Rav Huna Barchia said, that Shmuel said, the halacha is in accordance with the opinion of Hananya. So to, to sum that opinion up, it is that a device that provides excessive security is not considered a burden. So at the end of the daf here, the Gemara relates that Levi, the son of Rav Huna Barchia, and Rabba Baravuna were once going together on a road. Levi's donkey went ahead of the donkey of Rabba Baravuna uh, on its own. Rabba Baravuna was offended. So he was offended. Why? Because he was a greater Torah scholar. And so he thought that Levi went first in order to assert that he considered himself to be greater. So Levi said to himself, I'm going to say something to him so that he's going to be appeased. As we flip over to 52a. And so basically I'm going to say something to him so he's going to understand that it, this wasn't my intention to disrespect him and it was a misunderstanding. So it says to him that a donkey like this who's undisciplined, a donkey whose conduct is wicked like this one that I'm riding, what's the halacha with regard to having it go out with a halter on Shabbos? So back in those days in order to secure a donkey, a bit would be good enough and it doesn't require a halter. A halter would be considered to be an excessive security. So this question is whether or not this halter provides excess security for a wild donkey like this one is considered to be a burden. So in, the, in which case it would be ostered to go out into the public domain. Rabbi Barafuna said to him, even if the security is considered to be extra, your father said the following in the name of Shmuel, that the halacha is in accordance with the opinion of Hananya who said that a device that provides excessive security is not considered a burden. Bezrat Hashem, we're going to continue in, in, with, with this discussion uh, on Daf 52. Baruch Hashem.